all this other stuff, you know, like being isolated, being totally out of context, not having any of my normal creature comforts, not having external validation from, you know, the fitness world or work, like the workplace or friends, like all the things that I had grown to rely on and didn't even know it. So Peace Corps like just kind of tore that out of me and set it on the table and was like, let's stare really deep into this. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to I've Been Better. I'm your host, Susan Youngstead. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode on season six. Shout out to anyone in the housing market right now. It is completely wild and I send love and manifest your perfect house to anyone who's looking for that. Um, And I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for following on social media. We've got a couple new followers after our our guest this past season. So thank you so much. And again, if you aren't already following us on social media, please do that. Please give us a like, a follow. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google, or wherever you listen. Uh, Let's get into today's episode. For any new listeners that are joining us today, thanks for being here. I'll tell you a little bit about I've Been Better. I've Been Better is a storytelling podcast that was designed to create a space for my friends, family, whoever I meet on the street who has a a story to share to come on and share that with people because I'm a big believer that everyone we meet has a story that is worth sharing with the world. So here we are. And today's guest is a longtime friend, someone who I haven't had the opportunity to catch up with in quite some time. Uh, We used to go to school together, we roomed together, had a lot of memories together, and then life took hold and we went separate ways and now we're living in the triangle again. So here we are. So welcome, Kate Fox. Woo! Let me tell y'all briefly a little bit about Kate. So Kate works for the EPA. She is the Outreach and Engagement Specialist over at the Environmental Protection Agency. She is a returned Peace Corps volunteer. She was in Tanzania from 2017 to 2019. She's also a badass pole fitness instructor and competitor in the Triangle. If you would love to look into pole fitness, pole dance, learn to love your body, learn to embrace your sexuality, like Kate is the person you need to go to. So we'll talk a little bit more about that later. And she's also a dedicated travel seeker, a chicken mom. What else do I need to throw in here? Oh, gosh. I mean, that covers it. It's all of it. Yes, that's it. Yes. And she's a lot of fun. We were roommates and classmates. We both went to North Carolina State University. And Kate made a dedicated leap to leave our graduate program after a little while, which I applaud. Graduate school is really fucking hard. Um, And yeah, so welcome, Kate. Thank you. So excited to be here. I'm so glad you're here. Yes. You know, you actually come up in quite a few conversations around, I don't know if it's just like been a common t- conversation topic lately, but things are coming up around like pole dancing or pole mm-hmm. fitness. And I'm like, I have a friend who teaches that. Yes. I'm like, I know a girl who, we had a pole in our living room in, in college. Oh my gosh. And, and I'm like, true. I'm so cool because <laughs> I did that. Um, but yeah. Um, how are you? How is life? What's going on? It's good. Things are good. It's funny you say that because actually next month is my 10 year anniversary from when I took my first pole fitness no way. class. Yes. And, um, I'm still teaching at a radio fitness, which is super cool. This is not a paid ad. <laughs> this is, um, this is a promo for a radio fitness and carry. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, but yeah, I'm coming up on it and gosh, it's that's wild. 10 years. Back, I know. And that at that point, 
nobody even talked about pole fitness or well, if they did it was very scandalous yeah they're like oh my gosh pole dancing and now it's like i went to a pole dancing party and i've you know it's so much fun to teach the bachelorette oh, yeah. parties and the birthday party yeah people are like so into it um and it's very 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 athletic if you don't know there's all different styles Y'all, of pole if fitness. you like looked at kate from afar you'd be like oh like small petite individual <laughs> and then you get up close or watch her perform in like a pole fitness class or something you're like how this is not where is the um gravity that is supposed to be holding you to the earth right 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 yeah it's wild it's wild it's amazing it's very very inspiring because the pole fitness community is is um filled with just such diverse individuals from all different backgrounds i remember like taking my first pole dancing class and it being like doctors and lawyers and teachers and servers and police officers and and they're all in there getting jiggy with it and it's freaking awesome um i mean it really allows you to embrace this other side of you yes that you don't get to do and y'all i apologize for my voice we are recovering from some stuff and i cannot stop clearing my throat every 10 minutes (laughs) so my apologies that's very annoying and gross um i mean i remember we would what did we do the santa baby class oh my gosh. was one that when yes. all of us lived here, there's three of us two other yeah. previous guests on this podcast tori yeah. and jessica all lived with kate and i when we were in college or kate and i were in graduate school um i think tori had just graduated and mm-hmm. jess was finishing up school and we all went and did the santa baby pole class about and that. it was so much fun yeah. And then you're like, am I really about to do a striptease dance to a Christmas song? The answer is yes, we are. But it's so every time I hear that song, I think about it now. I know. Yeah, no, it's super duper fun. And I just love being in a safe space where, I mean, now, now Aradia has grown so much and it's, it's very, very gender inclusive. Um, but I would say that it always leans towards the feminine at heart and, um, and so when I first started there, being in a space with only women where embracing your sensuality or your athleticism or your, you know, desire to sh- shake your booty, like yeah. whatever it was that day that you needed, you were doing it in a space with just other women. And it was it was just for you. And yeah. actually, I think that the, the things that I've learned from the pole dancing and pole fitness community... Um, kind of relate to a lot of the themes that I think we'll talk about in our conversation today because it was the first place for me. I, I grew up a dancer, a ballerina, a jazz, you know, all that. And I think it was the first place for me where um, my exercise became more about what I can do than about what my body looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a beautiful freaking thing. So please get out there and experience it if you have not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I yeah. love that you the way you said that too. Yeah. Like, what can my body do? What is it capable yeah, of? Right. What is it showing me that I have the ability to do? Not when I go put on a bathing suit and look in a mirror. Right. That's all that I am worth from doing this workout. Yeah. Right, right, right. I mean, it is really incredible to go to a space. And now I haven't been there in quite a long time, but I follow the radio. I follow you. So I see all this stuff. And I mean, it's, it's amazing because we live in a society that teaches women to not love themselves. I mean, I literally just talked to a client today, a young, young Mm -hmm. girl, about how she doesn't like how she looks. She's 10. And I had to, her mom and I thankfully, you know, both were like, unfortunately, you've been dealt the card of being a female. And I don't want to ever say unfortunately, because being a female is fucking awesome. Yeah. But it's hard. Yeah. The world is constantly telling you to hate how you look, change how you look, do this, do that. We've all read the tabloids. We've all read the magazines. We're all on social media. It's wild. It's disgusting. It's, it's tearing so much away from our quality of life to be, 
so infatuated with um, the Western idea of a perfect body. Mm-hmm. And and the thing is, the Western idea of a perfect body changes every 10 years. Absolutely. So, look at Marilyn Monroe. Right, and then like, look right. how it's changed over the last yeah. 50 years. We None of us look like they right. we did 50 years ago. Or I'm sorry, we do. And then back then it would have been, it's the perfect person. Right. And now it's not. Right. Yeah, you can't win. So you know what? Just give up. (laughs) Right, just stop. Just Just be done with it. Give up on diet culture. Yeah, Yeah. that's the theme. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. That's what we're going to call this episode. I'm giving up on diet culture. Yes. Yes. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. You said you were a dancer growing up. We know you went to NC State, but like fill in the blanks. You have some very exciting stuff about being at NC State. So like throw it at us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, I should also say like just as a total disclaimer, um, although yes, I do work for EPA. I was a Peace Corps volunteer. I teach at Aradia. Nothing that I say today is representative of their thoughts or feelings (laughs) or policies or anything else. The EPA does not sponsor any of us. No, like this (laughs) is my personal life experience. So just have to get that out there, folks. You never know what could come back to bite you. At 100%. Um, Right. So we will um, bleep everything. Right, 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 right. Um, Okay, so I grew up the youngest of four. Um, My oldest sister is 15 years older than me, and all the gaps were pretty wide. So um, I was born, you know, competing for the spotlight. Mm -hmm. And um, I think with that came a lot of perfectionism and desire to control my environment because I was this little kid bouncing around with all these older siblings and, um, you know, a mom who was just involved in everything. And a dad who was like, you know, traditional, like, I'm just, you know, my job is to be the breadwinner and um, I come home and there should be dinner when I get here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like great loving father, but also like traditional gender roles suck. Um, (laughs) So unless it works for you and then it's great. All right. By choice, Uh, right? Yeah. Not by force. Not by pressure. Um, Okay. So that all kind of, um, you know, had a really interesting sort of high school experience. My parents had been married for 30 years. Um, they got divorced at that point and I was the last kid at home. Um, and it was really rough. My mom kind of went through her like late midlife crisis Mm -hmm. at that point. My dad was like totally going through his and I was like trying to be the adult as this like 14, 15 year old. Um, With no one there to help you, I can imagine, because you're the only one at home. Yeah. And my siblings, you know, understandably so, they kind of always thought of themselves as like my second parents because Mm -hmm. they were, and so they're like out of this picture and they're like, well, we're telling you what you need to do about this situation and this is what's going to help you. And here I am, like any 14 year old's difficult, but I was like, look at what I'm going through. You have no idea. See me, see me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I ended up actually um, graduating a year early from high school. I like figured out how to get out of there. And it's interesting because when I look back today, I'm like, oh, those were all those like problem solving skills that I think became super ingrained, like the need to like solve everything, reform everything, the I don't know if anyone here is familiar with the Enneagram. You are. I know you are. Oh, yeah. But I'm like such a one. Yeah, like a one at heart. Such a one. Yeah. Yeah, Like the reformer, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm like a split between a one and a three, which is the achiever. But I lean, my wing is a two. Yes. Which is the helper. Oh, such a, it's such a. It's like, how do you put all of those under an umbrella? I know. Well, I'll tell you about my life. (laughs) You're going to tell us. I'm a two and I just redid this and I thought I was a two wing three and then I redid it and I'm a two. 
I can't even remember. I'm a two and then I'm an eight. So twos can become eights when they're stressed okay. and eights can become twos when they're in content. So they're opposites of each other. And then I, I think I have more of a one than a three now. I think okay. it's changed the older yeah. I've gotten. Yeah. Wild. So interesting. Um, but yeah, I like see some of that when I look back through my history. I'm like, oh, maybe that's where that developed. Um, but yeah, so I, I left. I went to NC State. I majored in international economy and environment. And I minored in both environmental science and Middle Eastern studies. Um, I was so excited about the world. My dream from high school was to be a Peace Corps volunteer. Like I got this. Yeah, I remember you talking about this from day one. Yes. Like I got this bee in my bonnet. I was like, I have got to be a Peace Corps volunteer. I've got to do it. I've got to do it. And I was just obsessed with the idea of just like leaving everything and just, I don't know, like this combination of dedicating your life to service and also getting the selfish element of like adventure and experience and like new places and language and culture, like just soaking it all in. Um, so in order to achieve that goal, I studied Arabic. I like, you know, took up a critical language and tried to get those environmental science skills. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to the middle East for my study abroad, which was really difficult. (laughs) Um, it's my first time out of the country. That was really to go to the, like the middle East of all places. In What year was that? That was 2013. Yeah. In the midst of the Arab Spring, yeah. actually. Yeah. Like right when it all started. So, but like really cool experience, yeah. right? Like super Absolutely. hands-on. Um, then I, so I thought that I was going to um, graduate like a semester late because of my double minors. And then my advisor had like made a mistake and they were like, oh wait, these classes can overlap here. <gasps> so you're going to be done. And then I was like, oh no, what do I do? Now what? What do I do? Isn't, isn't that, I love that you, I appreciate hearing that so much from people who have been through higher academics because mm-hmm. this is just my personal lived experience yeah. and then maybe other people's, but college does not prepare you to be an adult at all. Right. It prepares right. you how to be responsible for your food and your laundry maybe yeah, yeah. and like how to do homework. But right. I had a major adjustment period going from graduate school to a full-time job yeah. i was miserable yeah i was like what, what the fuck am i doing right. ever and so yeah you're like about to graduate and you're like oh no everything i know is about to change yeah. and i don't know that i'm ready for that right and i wasn't like at the time i knew that i wanted to go to peace corps but i thought that i needed to get more experience before peace corps and because it's gotten a little bit less competitive it's still very competitive but like it it used to be where like they're ads would say you need a master's in social work or you need five years of experience and this that or the other so I was like well they're not going to take me yet so I've got to do something and I knew I wanted to do public service so I felt like social work at NC State like I'm already here and then I got in there um and you know it just wasn't for me (laughs) I wonder what what was the sign what was the indicator well there were a couple things let me tell you um so I had just not a great experience I think the real nail in the coffin for me um, was my field placement was a great experience as far Mm -hmm. as learning crisis management and um, getting hands-on experience with like counseling. I was a, I'm going to trigger warning here, content, sexual assault, domestic violence. So that's not your thing. Skip ahead. Skip ahead. Um, But I was a my internship was basically being a crisis counselor. And when I say that, like I was, you know, 21 22 no social work experience like you heard yeah, my you major. were a year under the traditional age anyway mm-hmm. yeah so we're yeah. 21 years old in graduate school yeah and you know they say like you're gonna get supervised and like you do formally but like 
they were throwing us into situations that like I was not not only was it dangerous for like me emotionally, but it was not it probably wasn't safe for the people that I was working with. And I don't know how much the school really knew. I kind of like trying to tell them like, hey, uh, this is not kosher (laughs) what I'm doing. So anyway, anywho, um, I had an I was working part time um, doing some marketing work on the side. um, And that opportunity kind of grew. And I was also just like experiencing some really harsh side effects of working in crisis management. And my body and my brain were telling me like, hey, this is really not sustainable for you. Um, And so I ultimately decided to leave the program and gain some more experience um, in the private sector before applying to Peace Corps. Did that. Long story short, (laughs) corporate work wasn't for me either. (laughs) You're like, well, I'm not good here. It's not this either. Right. I know. I keep forgetting. I'm like, oh, yeah, we work together. Yeah. We live together. We work right. together. We went to school together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I know. I sound, gosh, telling this story, I sound like I was such a flake. I promise it all comes together. It comes to well, well, together. What did you just say? You were young. I know. You're 21 years old. And from the minute you were born, probably, you were chasing perfection. Yeah. So if something oh, wasn't perfect, right. what did you do? Right. I was like, let me just switch gears and find that perfect solution. And you had the energy to do it at 21, 22, 23. Yes. You're like, okay, next move. Turn here. Right. Go this right. way. Yeah. And I remember it was, it was very difficult making the choice to leave grad school because I hadn't, I had, I mean, I was crushing it academically. I had like a three nine in that program. I was like, you know, from the outside perspective, I was doing really well in my field placement. I had been offered a super competitive field placement the following year. And yeah, it was a really tough decision led also, you know, encouraged also by some politics that were going on in the, in the program. Sure. But, um, ultimately, yeah. So I shifted towards like, uh, like marketing, hoping that I could maybe start to work in more corporate responsibility, like really trying to tie the pieces together and just realized that in order to even get to that level where I was going to have a positive impact, I, I was going to have to do so many things that I just like wasn't ethically okay with. So it was oh. like, so ironic that I was running into this like ethical dilemma in the field of public service. And then I was running into it again in corporate. And so basically the universe was telling me like, it's time to follow your dream. Yeah. Like what's stopping you? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. you're, you've, you know, pulled out all the stops, you know, you've like, done everything to not do the very thing you keep saying. Yes. And isn't that so weird that we do that? Yeah. We're like, well, I can't, can't do that until I have this. And I can't have this until I have that. And I'm not going to be happy until I do this thing. It's like, no, just do it. Yeah. Just, just do, do it, it now. Forge the path. And I have to say, you know, real shout out again to Lauren, my now husband, because at the time, you know, even knowing that Peace Corps would take me away for 27 months he was the one that put his boot in my butt for lack of a better word he like kicked your ass he's yeah. like get out go yeah and he was like what are you doing like stop he literally said to me stop talking about it stop crying about it stop whining about it and write your application yeah because if you're not going to do it now you're never going to do it and you know what worst case scenario they say no and you are where you are right now what's changed yes yeah, exactly. So I applied and I got in. <laughs> and you're like, huh, yeah. look at that. Right. And when I applied, I applied for like some youth. I had done a lot of nannying in college and with social work and, you know, running children's groups at the um, field placement and stuff. I was like, I thought I could do youth development. And I got through the whole interview process to go to Thailand for youth development. Didn't hear from them for like four months. The Peace Corps application process takes like a year. Oh, it's very long. Yeah. Didn't hear from them for like four months. And then four months later, they email me and the email starts out and it's like, you know, we've determined that you're not going to be selected for Thailand. And I just start sobbing. Like, I'm just like, (laughs) and then the email finishes with like, but we think you're competitive to serve in Tanzania for agriculture. And I was like, 
total 180. Yeah. You're like, what? Like, life change. And they're like, oh, and you have three days to decide. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. 27 cool. months. Cool, cool. Agriculture on the eastern coast of Africa. Completely different country, continent, <laughs> yeah. I, what I'm doing, yeah. all of it. Right. Everything. But I knew. I mean, it wasn't even, I didn't even need the three days because I was like, they could tell me I'm going to like, Antarctica with the penguins. Yeah. I'm gone. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, in some ways, that wouldn't have been any harder. So, like, <laughs> we'll dive <laughs> in. would have been easier than what you did 100%. Oh yeah. I mean, they say Peace Corps, Peace Corps is the hardest job you'll ever love. And that is I could totally so see that. True. It's so true. Um, so, left for Peace Corps. Lauren and I, you know, had a talk beforehand that we were like, we're just going to see how it goes. Yeah. Um, we made it through. I'll, you know, yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> Y'all have know. to go, like, if you want to stalk Kate on the internet, stalk's a very harsh word. Let me rephrase <laughs> it. If you would like to look up Kate and follow her on yeah, the internet with, yeah. uh, you know, permission of the follow button, right. there are videos that are still on there of mm-hmm. y'all seeing each other at the airport for the first yes. time. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I could cry just thinking about it. Yeah. He's the best. Oh, he's so cool. Um, but yeah, so, and then I left and Peace Corps is really, really unique as far as international volunteer work. Um, you have three months of on the ground training mm-hmm. and you, they fly you there with your whole, whole cohort. Do you have so, people? Like you're not literally by yourself at first. Not at first. Yeah. Well, actually you kind of are. Okay. okay so this is, it's like very in depth. I'm gonna shut up now. No, it's okay. I'm, I, I will talk, you know, I'll talk over whatever chance I get. So just you know. <laughs> do um, it. I'm, I'm, I'm pretending like I'm not here. I'm listening. <laughs> I love it. Um, so you get there and you're all together for like a week yeah. and they're giving you all your vaccines and you're like ill from the heat and whatever else. And then so you're like dying yet recovering at the same time. Yes. It's very intense. And then, um, they bring you to like the new area where you're each individually placed with a, a family. So you have eight hours of training, six days a week. Um, and it's either language training with a small group of your cohort or um, cultural training with like the whole group at like a convention center, like okay. a like a Tanzanian church center kind of. Okay. But like, so you're on for those eight hours and then you go home to your host family alone and you're responsible for only speaking Swahili to them, Um, learning to cook over a fire, learning to do your laundry out of a bucket. Like the host family is teaching you how to survive. So you you literally 24 hours ago were in America. Then you're like, yeah, yeah, it's wild. It is wild. And you're so tired. You're just like the physical and mental exhaustion. Like there is no rest. I can't imagine. Yeah. Um, But it was amazing. I mean, so you do your three months and then and then they announce where you're going to be placed and you can be placed like pretty much all over Tanzania. Um, and I was placed originally in a, in a region called Njombe, which is like down in the Southern Highlands of Tanzania. Okay. Tanzania is very big. It's like the size yeah. of Texas and California combined. Wow. Um, that's massive. It's huge. Yeah. And so to get pulls up Tanzania on map. Yeah. Right. right. I had to, yeah. that's like how I was an international yeah. studies major. <laughs> like, I don't even know. I did. I was like, what, where am I going? What's happening? And then I saw all these images <gasps> oh, wow. of safaris. Yeah. <laughs> That's big, y'all. Mm-hmm. I mean, it takes up the like almost the whole eastern coast, like that that tip, that yeah. little point that comes out. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so I went to Njombe. It was beautiful. I, I, I I'm gonna tell you a lot of scary bad things that happened, but I don't want it to take away from just like the fact that this was the most incredible, life changing, wonderful experience of my life, yeah. and the people and the relationships that I'm that I made, not only with the people 
in my cohort, but especially with the people in the village. Like you learn to, the, the, the goal of Peace Corps is that you integrate because you're isolated. Right. And only through truly integrating into community can you actually make sustainable change because, and I mean, sustainability yeah, is a What do we think but. about with traditional Peace Corps, right? Or maybe traditional Peace Corps is not the right language, so correct me, but mm. I can imagine that somebody listening yeah. will hear that and think you're like the white savior right. that's part of a church group yeah. that goes to a country and right. tries to force people to assimilate, you know, yeah. or adopt yeah. a belief or a practice, right? right? And then we can also all think back to learning about failed attempts yeah. to oh, offer help, yeah, like totally. the water stuff that we've done for other countries. Totally. Or, you know, some people have a problem with Tom's as a yeah. shoe company, right. you know, like because they're actually not teaching the place to survive on its own. Right. Yeah. It's totally messed up. I mean, and like, don't get me wrong, like, there's major programmatic improvement mm. that needs mm-hmm. to be made in Peace Corps. Like, ju- I mean, there was a story just not that long ago about in Tanzania, actually a staff member that was there doing some really messed up stuff. Oh, like, God. but I mean, who everything needs to change. Right. So we're not going to yes. knock any of that. But. It's like, as far as a model, I think the model is solid. If we're talking about international aid. Now there are people that are like international aid in itself is, is imperialism. And that's right. a whole nother conversation. And I don't, I don't entirely disagree with that, but I also... Well, someone who went through it yourself, you're like, I've seen it. I feel like this is actually sustainable. What I did, I felt better about this. Yes. I Well, I felt like every project failed (laughs) and every project was successful. Like Maybe people got something out of it. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Like every project was successful in a way that I couldn't have predicted or controlled or anticipated. Maybe that's the data we should pay attention to. Right. And, you know, that's hard to track, right? So, um... So yeah, so you're you're set. You get to your villa, and I had like two suitcases and a bucket, um, pretty literally, actually. And um, I, I remember watching like your blog and all your videos. Yeah. I mean, so y'all, Kate literally leaves. What years? It's 2017. Yeah, you go and you are gonna document your trip. Now, yeah. mind you, you are someone who, like you said, you worked in marketing. You went to NC State. I mean, you right. also like forgot to talk about the fact that you are the mascot for oh NC State. But, like, we'll circle back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so thinking about, like you said, like your life and all the luxuries that you have here and the things you're yeah. used to, and then you make this really brave decision. And like you said, this very well motivated and desired decision yeah. to like go to this other country and be helpful to people and give service and like right, be of right. service to people. Yeah. And you literally show up. You're like, I have to learn how to wash things out of a bucket yeah i was literally in a hotel shower two days ago like this is wild yeah it is it is wild and it's like what i realized what i learned and and what i think makes peace corps a good model is that volunteers are forced into vulnerability in every which way and like sometimes into like we'll say like moderately dangerous vulnerability (laughs) yeah you know but like you're forced to be vulnerable and the only way that you can truly bond with total strangers that don't speak your language and have different customs than you and you know is totally you're totally out of your context the only way that you're gonna step out of your door to talk to somebody else that's totally different than you is if you really freaking need to (laughs) and that means like struggling for your basic necessities you know and i i think that model's really cool um and that's how you create these lifelong relationships and i think that almost every peace corps volunteer whether they agree with peace corps as a model or not can say that like there were a couple relationships that stuck with them that at the very least you know that relationship was something positive right um at least i would hope um 
And so anyways, I'm in Njombe, you know, I did, again, like on paper, as the perfectionist that I am, I was like extremely diligent with my projects. We planted 2,500 apple trees and, you know, I did a goat project and a chicken project and introduced um, my, one actually my biggest focuses was introducing orange flesh sweet potatoes um, as a replacement, not a replacement, but a supplement to the white sweet potatoes that they were farming. Um, And that was like the cheapest, that was the cheapest grant that I wrote. It was like 100 US dollars and we planted like 12,000 sweet potato cuttings. But that was probably the one that stuck because they were already potato farmers. It was the easiest change. Yes. Easiest, slightest change that would maximize growth in their sustainability was just add this one thing. Yeah. Just do this thing that you already know how to do. I'm not, I wasn't a farmer. Like these people were, these people could farm me out of the wall i mean they could like yeah they're like they could do this with their eyes closed and you're like um where do i put this potato right right show me and in that yeah and in that sense it was total like you know what people think of like the the negative that people think of as like white saviors going in and not even knowing the not even knowing what they're doing necessarily and like that is somewhat true. It's also like necessary to the model to some extent, you know, it's like, cause I wonder what would happen off. if you were taught ahead of time. Yeah. I mean, we got some, we got like some training, but yeah, if we, if I went in there, like I'm an expert, listen to me this on is sweet potato farming. Right. And instead it was like, integrate, figure out what your community wants and needs. And I learned that I learned from going to the, uh, the village clinic that they were relying on USAID and Canadian based, um, vitamin A supplements. Oh, wow. And the mamas and the children that were being required to take them by the government didn't even know what vitamin A was or like what, what it, it did, did for them. Yeah. Oh, my God. Meanwhile, these people are potato farmers. Like, all it takes is one orange you just sweet eat potato it. a day to meet your vitamin A um, like requirement, you know? So they were going to a clinic every day, wasting precious time. Or once a week or when... Yeah. Okay. And, and being fed this supplement that is totally not sustainable. Like, what happens if that... Eight is cut off. Yeah. And they don't know how to get vitamin A. Like, uh, what? COVID. What? Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what, exactly. what happens when so the world shuts down? Right, right. So, it was, that was one of those things that was like, oh, this is what it's about. Like, you integrate so that you can learn from these farmers and yeah. from these people. And then maybe you can just offer one little tiny suggestion or one little tiny good, you know, that, um, that introduces a positive change. So yeah. that was really, really cool. Um, What's the model of science that you're talking about, right? This yeah. idea that we're not supposed to create theories and then find data that supports our theory. We're right. supposed to observe data and create theories from the data. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. That sounds really cool. I don't know anything about that, but mm-hmm. I guess I did it. So Yeah, I mean, you did exactly <laughs> what I think there's this argument about in the world of science. Yeah. A lot of people in science may argue the other way, that right. you are supposed to have a theory and then you seek data to support or negate said theory. Right. And then other people who maybe like Brene Brown, she's somebody yeah. who observes data, mm-hmm. qualitative data, and then turns it into quantitative once yeah. she's discovered like a trend. And she's yes. like, okay, what is that? Yeah. And you went in with some ideas. You're like, I'm going to bring goats. Right. I'm going to bring yeah. <laughs> apples. I'm going to do this stuff. Yeah. And they were like, no, bitch, we just actually need this. Okay. And you were like, oh, that's so easy. I'll do that. Yeah. And you're like, why was I doing all this other stuff? Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There were so many times I like was, I got in there like, I'm going to introduce this new breed of 
duck to this village. No, this really happened. This is so bad. Like, this is so, this is like when people are like stupid white saviors. This is what they're thinking of. And this was me in this moment. I'll admit it full on. Well, you were young. I was like, yeah, I was learning. This was like my first six months in the village, right? That's why you're there for 27 months. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to introduce these new ducks. They're hardier than chickens. They lay more eggs than chickens. And like, they don't require as much care. I'm going to take a bus all the way to Kenya. And I'm going to- Whole nother country. Right. Red flag number one. Yeah. They didn't even live in the country we were in. (laughs) Right. They're not even in this country. Wonder why not, Kate. (laughs) I wonder if there's any reasons that those ducks aren't here in Tanzania. Nope. None? No, okay. They're only in the country next door. <laughs> it's fine. Let's just get on a 17-hour bus ride mm. and meet a strange man who says he's going to meet you at the bus stop with these ducks. Yep. And then ship baby ducks back across the country. It'll, it's a great idea. Honestly. Yeah, what could go wrong? <laughs> crushing the game here. Mm-hmm. Didn't work out. <laughs> I got to the city where the ducks were supposed to get delivered, and it turns out the bus that that man said he was going to be on didn't exist. So Big lie. <laughs> Big fat lie. And then I had to go back to the village and be like... So we're going to do a chicken project. (laughs) There are no ducks. I lied. They don't exist. And it's like, you're just, excuse me, you're like trying to build trust with people. And I've been talking about these ducks. I mean, I put on my full like marketing, like, like we're going to get these ducks, y'all. I've already named them. You're going to love these ducks. Daffy. Donald. Man. They're ready. Yeah. And they're like, where's the ducks? Yeah. Where are these ducks? They got on me too, but that's good. Like the one thing that I really, not the one thing, one of the many things that I loved about Tanzanian mamas, especially like these mamas were like, bitch. (laughs) Where are these fucking ducks? They were like in Swahili, like the equivalent of like, where the fuck are these ducks that you said you were going to bring? And how are you going to make it up to us? And I was like, I'm going to figure that out. Yeah. And I think it was actually like, don't come in here and like promise us shit. Right, 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 right. And that was an awesome aspect of Tanzanian culture was that they were so welcoming and so happy and so friendly, but it wasn't artificial. Like it was so real. Like we'll love you as long as you're like honest and loving back to us. Yeah, exactly. And like when they saw in my face that like, I really am, I'm going to figure this out. Like I promise, like it matters as much to me or it matters. I can't imagine how much it must matter to them because I'm not living their life experience, but it matters so much to me. And I wanted them to know that. And I, I think they did, you know, to an extent, um, but I mean, I hope, I don't know. Yeah. So. yeah. But they, you know, these people like were there for me through thick and thin, which was a good thing because through the first 14 months while I was in Njombe, the first 14 months of, so I had three months and then the next 14 months that I was in Njombe, my house was broken into like several times. Um, and I was very isolated. I was, I could walk to a volunteer in like, an hour and a half to two hours, um, which was lucky, actually. That was like a pretty close site mate. Um, but the nearest, like the nearest ATM was like a 45 minute uh, bus ride. And then the nearest hospital, well, I guess there was like, I don't know. Anyways, it was very far from a lot of things. Like I didn't have, when I first got there, I had one light bulb, but then the electricity went out for like six months and I didn't have any okay. of that. And Great. yeah, I didn't have phone service that was reliable. Um So it was like, you know, in an emergency situation, all you have are your neighbors. Um, And there were a few emergency situations. It was pretty scary. Um, Were you like away from the village on your own or you just were the like one volunteer in this village and the next volunteer was a ways away? I was the only volunteer in this village. Yeah. And then a village that was an hour and a half from me, there was another Another volunteer. volunteer. So like you said, you weren't like you were isolated in your own aspect of being like 
new culture, new space, yeah. new situation, not knowing really how things operate totally. Yeah, at we all, haven't fully really. immersed ourselves into it yet. But yeah. like you said, I mean, yeah, you're like, um, I have, I don't know how to do anything, and I can right. barely speak your language. Yeah, yeah, and there aren't distractions. Like you don't have. Like I would go into town. You so you're supposed to stay in the. You know, you're not supposed to be like traveling all the time. So other than like your trainings and stuff, you were allowed. I think it was four days a month that you could be out of the village um, without like approved to leave or whatever. And those were called like your banking town days. So like my banking town was 45 minutes away. And so I would go, I would take like my laptop with me. I would charge it in town. And then that would give me like two hours on my laptop. So I could like, I had like a little hard drive of videos. And then like throughout the week, I would like savor those two hours where it'd be like, I'm going to watch an episode of like, yeah, I'm going to watch an episode of like 2012 Sex in the City. Yeah. (laughs) Like (laughs) something real trash. You're like, I'm ready. Right. And you're just really, really, really in your own head. And so um, after 14 months of like going through a lot of just like mental and emotional trauma of like- Were you ever home when your place was broken into? So they didn't successfully get in while I was there, but like- I remember like one of the first weeks I was there, I could like hear people trying to get in and it was so scary. Like you just, you don't, I mean, do you know their motives? Like you don't really know what they want from you. Is this like a common practice when there's someone new in the village? Like what's happening? Yeah. And it was like very dark and I could hear them like trying to get in and I was like, okay, I'm just going to let them know that I'm awake and I hear them. So I just like got up and I like turned on, at that time I had the light. So I turned on the light and I like slammed a door in my house and I heard them like run away. Okay. Um, So uh, we're like to hope no ill will. They just wanted your stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that that was the only ill will. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's still ill will, Susan. It's I'm like, like mm-hmm. okay, to your body. Hopefully, right. no harm yeah. intended. Yeah. But um, it, like the thing was that was that like exacerbated it was the village, like the elders and the adults in the village were very excited to have a Peace Corps volunteer because it brings grants and projects and and money essentially, yeah. right? And experiences, you know, like I would go and teach English at the school or just do extracurricular stuff. And so when they found out that like these break-ins were happening, they were really, really mad at whoever oh. was doing this. Well, that has to feel kind of nice. You're like, oh, thank God, this isn't yeah. an endorsed practice totally like they were they had my back like they had village meetings where they like asked for volunteers to try to like figure out who these people were the problem was like no one's gonna rat anybody out i feel like right actually kind of the opposite okay i like scratch that yeah so like the problem was that like the culprits or the people that kind of knew what was going on were like kids and teenagers and in tanzania you know at that time in that specific location like it wasn't an uncommon practice to like use uh corporal punishment oh god and so right and so then it's like this exacerbated ethical dilemma of like yes i don't want the i don't want kids taking my things and i don't want teenagers breaking into my house that's scary but also like i don't want to beat them yeah i don't want and i don't want you to beat them either and i don't want to be the reason that somebody's getting beaten like that's not why i'm here for sure you know so it's just like very it was just a lot of very like emotional ups and downs and peace corps so far away i mean they're like a 14-hour bus ride away and i had like their main headquarters yeah yeah so you know they could like send somebody out for a site visit but they're not going to see anything bad happening in that moment um so it took about 14 months until finally they were like, okay, we need to take you out of this of this site. And it was really sad because I was invested in, in the At people. At that point, I mean, you've been there for over a year. Yeah, yeah. And I loved it. I loved that, you know, that little house that I had made home and the garden and um, the people that I had that had befriended me and that I had built trust with. 
Um, but it ended up being an incredible journey. They essentially they offered me interrupted service, which meant that I could leave and still get like my non-competitive eligibility. And, and I was like, no, I'm here to finish. Like Peace yeah. Corps was my dream. I'm doing it. Like I'm not here. bailing. Yeah. And then I think maybe as like a little bit of a consolation, they put me in like one of the most beautiful villages in the country. Uh, you deserved it. It was you were, like traumatized. Incredible. I mean, let's be honest, like I signed up for it. Like, I mean, okay, that's too much, I guess. I, yes, I you're saying, I hear you saying, like, <laughs> I knew I was going into a situation that I wouldn't be dealing with, like, white privilege yeah, America. Yeah, yeah. Right. But no one signs up to be robbed. True. You're right. You're right. That's true. And that's, I what's so, that's so disheartening that that village even tried to prevent it and like still people there like it was couldn't sad. wrap their heads around not doing it yeah yeah yeah, yeah it was sad and I shouldn't say it. you're totally right in that like I shouldn't say I signed up for it because that also devalidates so many experiences of trauma that Peace Corps volunteers have that like shouldn't happen and so I did not sign up to be traumatized I signed up to bear a certain level of hardship in order to do public service. And it did not include, like, the level of... Like, violation that kept happening. exactly, exactly. And there are a lot of volunteers that had my experience or worse, and... I wonder what we're missing there. That's for another day, but, like, something's Mm -hmm. missing, you know, if it keeps happening. Yeah, well, I actually ended up leading a... um, a session at one yeah. of our trainings on like trauma normalization and healing because of the experience I had had in crisis. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I took some of my social work skills and like partnered with the Peer Support and Diversity Network in Peace Corps. And we did like a whole session on like wow. normalizing your experience after trauma and that like, you know, it's okay to feel the way you feel when you experience things like this or like worse or whatever and how to reach out you know, for help because mm-hmm. it's really important mm-hmm. and we're doing awesome, awesome stuff. And, you know, people deserve to have that normalized. And I don't, I think that was an issue is, is the lack of knowledge about yeah. it. Um, yeah. So I got moved to a village called Goma in Kilimanjaro. Um, and it was just absolutely incredible. The, the tribe in Goma village, uh, the, the Wapare people, there's different tribes throughout Tanzania and the Wapare people, are just known for being like extremely welcoming, friendly, mm, laughter. Love that. They have a little bit more exposure to like tourism and stuff because yeah. um, they're up there near Kilimanjaro Mountain, obviously. So there's and like people come there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they come to like the banking town. So they've yeah. like seen more. Um, we're called Wazungu. Mzungu is basically like the Tanzanian word for a white person. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> it's like. Is it insulting or is it um, loving? I think it's like maybe the equivalent of like gringa or gringo. It's like it can be loving if they know you and they're like, oh, you're a little Mzungu. You're like our little mascot. But it can also be like, oh, these these gosh darn Mzungu. You know what I mean? Just like, yeah, Yeah. like so annoying. Don't know anything. It's like, you're right. We don't. Yeah. Fair statement. (laughs) Yeah, fair. But adopt me, please. Please? I'll be your chia pet. Love me. (laughs) Take care of me. Feed me. Um, So I had a really incredible experience there. I got really, really close with people there. I actually still, um, I work on a microfunding and and crafting initiative with um, a mama's group, uh, the Goma women's group um, out of that village still and sell their goods. So shameless plug for Goma women's group. Um, We'll put a link. Yes. So make sure you guys know about it. Yes. Um, Yeah. Still 100% profits go to them. Super cool to still work with them. Um, But... 
That was also the point in Peace Corps that I um, reached out for counseling services. And I did that shockingly, not directly because of the kind of traumatizing experiences I had had, but actually because of the demons inside me. (laughs) Not the ones at my door. (laughs) Yeah, not the ones at the door, but the ones that had kind of been lurking there all along that I didn't realize Mm -hmm. were a problem until all this other stuff, you know, like being isolated, being totally out of context, not having any of my normal creature comforts, not having external validation from, you know, the fitness world or work, like the workplace or friends, like all the things that I had grown to rely on and didn't even know it in the States. I mean, external validation, like for a perfectionist, like, oh my gosh, we live on it. We live and breathe. Validate me. Validate my worth, my existence, you know? like Yeah. And so Peace Corps like just kind of tore that out of me and set it on the table and was like, let's stare really deep into this. Um, And that was really intense, y'all. Like, whoa. (laughs) I mean, I can't imagine. Like you said, like, you like kind of knew yourself before you left. You're like, yeah. yeah, I do this, I do that. Like, yeah. oh, I could push my work on that. Yeah, and then right. you go and are removed from what you what you say, right? All your comforts, right? All Everything. that you've ever known, yeah. your environment that supports you, mm-hmm. and again, these very subtle things that you don't even realize you loved and needed and yeah. helped you survive, right? Right? Because it's been a part of you for so long, yeah. you're not even consciously aware of it. And then you go and you're like, oh my god, I don't. I haven't seen a person tell me I'm doing good at anything for three weeks. Yeah. Like I am awful. Yeah. I'm a failure. Yeah. I'm losing. And so then you're like, I can't live with this inside of me. So you said you pull it out, put it on the table and then you're like, fuck you. Right. I don't want to deal with you. Yeah. But, but you like, it's one of those moments where you're like, I'm either going to trudge deep and dark through this or I'm going to quit and go home. Yeah. And oh my gosh, like the, the tears face down on that cement floor alone. No one's coming for Taco Tuesday. Like, <laughs> no, you can't call anybody. You can't, there's nothing. There's no yeah. one. It's just you. Sounds and, like you get to know yourself really well. Oh my gosh. It's incredible. It's so painful. It's so incredibly painful, but it's like the kind of pain that you know is growing you. Like, I cried so much in the first year. And by the end of the second year, I remember looking back and be like, oh my gosh. I can count the number of times that I broke down in the second year. Like, 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 I mean, any breakdown is significant, but the first year it was just overwhelming outpouring of like emotions and pain and hardship and getting to know this new culture and environment and myself, which was mm-hmm. the hardest part. Mm-hmm. And then the second year you're like, I'm a boss ass bitch. Like, oh mm, my like, God. Look at, look at me. Yes. Like I know myself, <clears throat> like I really deeply know myself and I know all the dark parts in there too. Um, And so what really stuck out for me that took me a long time to actually identify as an issue was I had left the United States having a lot of confidence and worth built around my identity as a fitness professional, a fitness instructor, a dancer, um, you know, a sexy, beautiful woman, Mm -hmm. all these things that in a village where you don't have running water and you don't have a mirror to do your makeup and you're, I mean, you wouldn't even be doing your makeup anyways, but like you might not have showered in five days and you're really dirty and you're plucking parasites out of your feet Mm -hmm. and like, 
you don't have you obviously you're not going to any kind of gym Mm-mm. you know what i mean if you're yeah, going hard physical labor right is your workout yeah if you're going on a run you're doing it with a skirt on over your leggings because that's what's culturally appropriate like oh, yeah. and people are going to shout at you the whole time you know so like and i'm not even using that to complain i'm just giving you like a example of what where you're, you're painting kind of the picture at. Yeah. yeah and so i like i now realize that that was like that part of my identity slipping away from me and the inability to hang on to any aspect of what I felt made me who I was kind of sent me on this like spiral with body image and diet culture and food relationships, which is so ironic because the last place you need to be worrying about yourself in a bathing suit or, you know what I mean, or your body is when you're covered in like seven layers of sweatshirts in the freezing cold in the Southern Highlands of Tanzania, like doing physical labor. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, like, what's a bathing suit? Like, what are you talking about? Why does that even matter? Yeah. Um, and so like, what I learned from this experience, and I'm going to go deeper into it, but what I learned from this experience is that like everything that we think we are, like all the things that you, all the words you would use to describe yourself in this moment um, are actually totally reflective. Like all of our identity is reflective. So every everything that you know about yourself is based off of like, you spit something out, it's reflected back to you from society and the people around you and the experiences around you. Like, oh, that must be who I am. Yeah. And yeah. then it sticks, right? And yeah. you're like, oh, that is who I am. Okay. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's who I am. I'll adopt that. Right. So like what happens when the mirror is gone? Yeah. There's no one to reflect anything back. Yeah. And then you're like, do I even exist? <laughs> like, who am I? Am I a ghost? Who yeah, am I? Like, right. Like there's, it's, it's so overwhelmingly like seeking like you're just like grasping like feeling around in the dark yeah Yeah. it's it's really it's really profound actually like really incredible but in the moment I I think I was like well I'm I'm this dancer and this fitness professional and and even like from day one getting to Peace Corps people you know learned that I was really into working out and I would like lead little workout sessions and that was like the fun part of it right like but then that identity kind of stuck and it got comfortable and I was like okay well now I've really got to maintain this and Mm. if I was you know if I was following like a fairly low carb, low animal product diet at home then like if I want to stick to if I want to stick to something I've got to stick to that well Tanzania's food staple is cornmeal. It's essentially cornmeal. It's called ugali. It's like the highest carbs you're going to get. You're like the opposite of what I was doing at home. It's like, yeah. yeah. And I like made up my mind that I was going to be super stubborn and I was going to like try to maintain this like fitness identity and physique and eating habits and like diet culture essentially i was like i'm not gonna let it go because it brought me some element of comfort in the state maybe joy joy might not be the right like artificial yeah Yeah. like validation validation and that felt good yeah um and it's like it's one thing to adhere to diet culture in a country where you can go to whole foods and get all of your little you know supplements curated menus and access to food no food desert yeah which i still think is i mean Dietary restrictions are one thing, like those are very real. And so I don't want to um, like not validate that. But also like diet culture, I think, has forced us into developing those habits of feeling like we need to go to those stores and buy those things and, and like only eat, eat those things way. to survive. Yeah. Yes. 
Um, and so in this case, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to stick to it, even though I can't get those things. And basically what that meant is like, I was kind of starving yourself. Yeah. Like, and in my mind, it was like, no, I'm not star. Like, I'm not starving. I'm eating, I'm eating and eating and eating and eating. But like, there wasn't access to the foods that I thought and was convinced I should be eating. So like I was withering away and it wasn't because I couldn't grab a spoonful of rice. It was because I was so tortured by this idea that like like what would happen if you gave it up yeah like i who would you be who would i be and i already was so just frantically seeking that and i think and you know people talk about how issues with um with eating and with food relationships and eating disorders stem a lot of times from like control right control of your environment and it's very common and like very you know quote unquote successful kind of perfectionist women especially but also men um and you know all anybody anybody okay um but yeah i and and it tortured me it was i didn't get by the time i got to a point where i had lost a lot of weight and i realized it like by the first time i actually saw myself in a mirror and like uh was on a scale because i didn't have those things i was like ooh, ooh, right this is this is not good. So I had the insight to, to like not let it get where like physically I was actually like, like harming yourself. Yeah. But then it tortured me mentally because I was like, well, now I know that I need to like start incorporating more diverse foods. Something has to change. And I'm going to see my body start to change. And then the cycle is that now you know what your lowest weight could be. And you know what it feels like to look in the mirror and see like some hip bone or like what it feels like to feel the muscle tone on the back of your thighs. You know what I mean? And like none of that was ever normal for me before. Mm-hmm. And so then it was this battle of like, well, now I know how to be healthier and like incorporate foods, but then I'm going to see my body change. And that was this like torture back and forth of like, now I'm going to get less validation. Mm. And like your identity was so wrapped up in looking and being and performing a certain way. Right. And so it's like, what happens to me if I now start eating carbs? Yeah. Is everything I've built my life on just a sham? Right. And that's truly like, everything was so fragile. Everything was so fragile in that state where your immune system and your mental health and your emotions and your physical body are compromised. You're just hanging on by a thread, you mm-hmm. know? And so like just that 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 one thing that like I know rationally is so stupid, right? It was torture. And I mean, I remember like Getting, I'd get home from like a, a town day or whatever and just be so totally exhausted from speaking Swahili all day and sweating in the bus and, and like just everything. And I'd get home with like a 75 liter pack full of fruits and mm. vegetables and, you know, a, a box full of two dozen eggs to get me through the next two weeks and, and be totally spent. And then I'd be like, I have to do a workout. I have, mm. I have to do a workout. I have to do a workout. And I remember like crying through mm. workouts and still doing it like what like why and again like I never even even when I I did start working with a counselor who changed my life and I'll go more into that more or uh, you know later but like I never even those activities like working out really hard and um eating a certain way there wasn't, it wasn't diagnosable as an eating disorder. Like right. it was not technically you weren't an eating binging, disorder. You weren't purging, yeah. you weren't withholding food. Right, 
great. But what did you just tell us, though? It was yeah. disordered as fuck. It was fucked up. Yeah. And it was, like, very confusing because when I started working with a counselor, she was like, okay, well, a lot of your anxiety is obviously around, like, food. But if I had been, like, physically ill, like, to the point where I was, like, like not acknowledging those habits and still doing them and, like, get, you know, physically at a point where my weight was dangerous or whatever else, then I would have been sent home from Peace Corps, like 100%. Mm-hmm. But because I was like then, you know, physically at a healthy weight and like ready you to had talk some about awareness, it, yeah. Yeah. It was like this very confusing thing where she was like, okay, well, like, it's not to the extent that you have anorexia or bulimia, but it's something else. There's something else going on here. Um, and actually, since then, I've, I've, um, done a lot of research on like orthorexia. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you, which is really interesting. It's basically like an obsession with healthy eating. I mean, I, but that's fascinating to me because it's like this obsession. It's like, it's not even necessarily diagnosable in the traditional sense because it's diet culture. It's just us buying. Because it also is so subjective, right? It says yeah. like eating foods that are deemed healthy, right? healthy by who and when. Yes. Because every year, something that was right. healthy isn't healthy anymore right. and something else is healthy. Yeah. It's like this obsession with like, how do I do this right? How do I do fitness right? How do I do eating yeah. right? Yeah. And I'm very much, again, this is the one in me, doing things the right way. Like the magazine said this, the internet said this, the doctor said this. Yeah. Do this. Do this. I want to like be able to put it in a list. And I had, I'd like made this list for myself based on all, all these, these foods work. This is the results yeah. I get. This makes me feel good. Right. You can right. justify it all, right? Yeah, you totally can. And you've got all these articles telling you that it's right and that it's the best way to do it. But it was horrible. And you know, I I worked through it obviously and it didn't again like it didn't get to the point where I had to like come home or do anything like that, but I really wanted to talk about it today like with you and with hopefully like all of these great listeners. Um because since I've become aware of it, and especially since I've started practicing intuitive eating, um, which is just eating when you take away diets. Yes, and just rules. when are you hungry? What do right. you want? Can you eat it? <laughs> do you have access to it? Right. Eat it. Right. Um, what do I tell my clients all the time? So again, I do not, I am not a professional in disordered eating. Yeah. You need a professional to work with disordered eating, especially yeah, yeah, if it's yeah. a primary concern. Right. But I tell any client who struggles around eating, maybe mm-hmm. as a secondary or something they've had in the past, right. there's no such thing as a bad food. Is it edible? Yeah. It's good food. Yeah. If you're, if you're in your couch cushions, bad food. Right. Bad. Don't eat that. Don't do that. Dog food, probably don't eat that either. Yeah. But if it's edible, it's a good food. Yeah. Eat it. For sure. Also like the occasional Skittle in your couch cushion, but like- That's fine. But that's a, that's a Skittle. <laughs> that's edible. The foam in there, don't eat that. We're going to be on that TV show that's like the weird shit you eat. Don't do that. Mm-mm-mm. Disclaimer, second disclaimer of the night, I don't eat Skittles out of my couch cushions, but that's Maybe. largely because- Maybe. We don't have a couch. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because do I don't have a, have a couch. I did just move. You don't yeah, know. We don't know. Yeah. Maybe from under the bed. Yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah. So like what I realized when I started diving into like intuitive eating and seeing all of these like awesome influencers, not the diet influencers, not the fitness influencers, but these like basically like 
very similar to what I went through, like fitness inspo turned intuitive eater or like diet nutritionist turned intuitive eating. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like you like watched them for years and they were like these fitness pros that drank the protein shakes and worked out. And then there's her name's Madeline something. She lives in Australia or something. She's a huge fitness guru, worked out all the time, did all these things, sold the drinks, sold the powders, whatever. She's completely changed that. She does not do any of it. She doesn't promote her workout. She doesn't do, she's like, I'm out. I'm out. It was so unhealthy. I was so unhealthy. Like this is fucked up. Yes. It's like you become this epitome of quote unquote health and it's actually so unhealthy. It's so unhealthy. And like, um, it's been incredible. Like I did, I did all this, I'll back up for a second. I did all this work with this counselor. Her name was Shelly Savage. Love Shelly. Savage is like the best way to describe her because she was savage. She, we only had phone call because that's the service that I could get like at the, at the second village. And, um, she was just, I don't know what it was. She could make fun of me. She could like tap into my little perfectionist brain and like, tear apart all of my little critical analyses and be like, yeah, you're really smart and you've researched this a lot. Also, here's where you could be wrong in a lot of different ways. <laughs> and you're like, you're freaking right. Right. I'm right. like, yeah. I'm like, thank you for the validation I needed. Yes. And, also. And telling me where I'm wrong. I will take that. <laughs> I'll take both. She knew how to do it, give it to me both mm-hmm. ways, you know? That was great. Um, she was absolutely incredible. I really hope that I get to like thank her one day um, outside of like those sessions itself. But um, she just helped me let go a little bit. And she would just be like, you know, what would happen if you gained a pound? You know, what would happen? And I'd be like, well... I- I, I had to like really think into the root of it. And it was like, like I was, where's the answer? It's in this bag yeah, somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's here somewhere. And it was all like fear of judgment. It was just fear of judgment, you know? And, and that's really hard to swallow every time it comes up, yeah. right? Like every time she got you, they'd be like one pound, two pounds, or yeah. you looked like this, or your right. body did this. You, right. Every answer was, oh, people would judge me. Yeah. And like, shit, there it is again. Yeah. They won't think I'm worthy. They won't think I deserve to be called a fitness instructor. They won't think I deserve to be a Peace Corps volunteer. They won't think that I can can give them advice on working out. They, Whatever it was, you know. It would invalidate my whole existence. Yeah. And this is this is like really taking it down a spiral. But I had this incredible friend, Taylor. Um, hopefully she'll listen to this at some point. Um, or I, hopefully they'll listen to this at some point. Excuse yeah. me. But um, <clears throat> I remember having a conversation with them. And they were like, you know, it all comes down to the fact that we're afraid to die. <laughs> And you're like, I was like, wait, what? I was like, wait, Taylor, I think we're taking it too far. And they were like, no, think about it. You're afraid people will judge you. And therefore, you're afraid they might not bring you into their group. And if they don't bring you into their group, you're going to be more vulnerable when you're alone. And then you're less likely to survive in a communal setting. And so you're more likely to die. And we're really just all afraid to die. And I was like, are we describing wolves, humans, both creatures? I don't know. Like, is there is like an animalistic instinct in us to belong. And we all find these different ways in which we think are like we the think requirements to belong. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It is wild. And like Taylor was right. Like, really, I was just afraid to die, Susan. <laughs> How did you not fucking know that? Thanks, Taylor. Right. Well, I love that they said it so casually too. Like, how the fuck did you not know that? Of course, you just wanted to die. Right? You don't. You just. You you (laughs) You don't want to die. You just didn't want to die. So, like, you're trying not to die. Duh. And you're like, you're just trying not to die. 
I'm like, actually, you're right. Because yeah, a lot of things make me feel like I might die, die. in this. Especially feelings. I love that you said that, right? You're like, no, Taylor's right. Because they pointed out the f- in- innate instinctual visceral fear of death that we typically have as humans which propels us to stay alive and you're like oh you're right because if that goes away i i don't want to i don't want to die right exactly when you strip all the weird like scenarios and we just don't want to die alone either right yeah 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 exactly so yeah that was really interesting and profound and that they they probably don't even remember that they said that or maybe they do i hope so well we're gonna remind them right now yeah we are um i love them they just say really profound things all the time actually but um so yeah, so Shelly really helped me. Shelly Savage, my counselor, really helped me get through that. And um, since then, I've been, like, just felt so free, like, not waking up. And the first thing I'm thinking about is, like, what I can or cannot eat or how my diet's going to fit into that activity for the day or, like, like whether or not I should have a glass of wine when I meet my girlfriends for dinner on Wednesday night because it's not a weekend and if I have a glass of wine on Wednesday then like I really shouldn't drink one on Sunday and then like like the spiral Just consumed your whole life you know and like um and I mean obviously not just alcohol either like alcohol should be consumed in moderation for sure but like anything um and I see I think what bothers me and and why I really wanted to talk about it today is that I see how many women in my life are going through it too and maybe not to the extent that I did but to some extent yeah to some extent people are body checking which is where you're checking your body in the mirror you are feeling a certain part of your body to make sure it feels a certain way or looking at a certain part of your body before or after you get out of the shower when you're getting dressed whatever it is body checking and not for a medical reason right we're not doing boob checks no 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 yeah exactly like different kind of body checking um or like fad dieting switching the diet changing it up losing five pounds yo-yo dieting yeah the yo-yo or maybe even not a yo-yo maybe you've made it a quote-unquote lifestyle change i know i keep using the quote-unquote because they can't see my fingers when i do oh no but i love it you're like quote unquote um lifestyle change right that's what people said about going keto it's like do you know why we have keto diets to begin with right it's not for you unless you have like epilepsy right then it was for you yes yeah. And like also no shade. I don't hate the dieter. I hate diet culture. Right. Like, you're not the problem. Yeah. You're not the problem. And neither is most likely. No, I'm going to go ahead and say neither is your weight or the way you look in the mirror or whatever else. Like even, you know, even medical systems have been convinced to be fat phobic. You know, y'all all need to listen to Maintenance Phase. Yeah. That's a podcast. Ooh. They are incredible. Okay. Yes. I'm about it. It's you should. It's by. Um, Aubrey Gordon and why am I blanking on his name but it's a fantastic podcast it's all about fat phobia and they research all the fat diets influencers Mm -hmm. medical Mm -hmm. jargon outdated statistics I mean they talk about the history behind the BMI and how it's a bunch of bullshit BMI doesn't even apply to black people and people of color and it's stated in the data to not apply it to them and we do it anyway oh my gosh so yeah so I mean I think like after seeing this with you know, my community and fitness, my, my own family, the women in my family, my friends, little girls that are starting to, that are growing up and talking about their bodies and, and calories and eating at such a young age. Like we've just, we've got to stop it somewhere. And not only have I found, you know, so much better health in myself 
by letting go of diet culture to an extent, it's always going to be there. That voice is always going to be there, but to an extent that's healthy for me. Um, I also feel now that my willingness to show off parts of my body that might feel like imperfections to me or my willingness to order the fries with a friend who's questioning whether or not they should order the fries or, you know, say that I'm hungry or eat more than people around me or whatever else it is, Mm -hmm. um, gives permission and it shouldn't have to, but it's something that I found does like, and I remember having the thoughts of like being out with a friend to lunch or dinner and being like, well, what are they going to think if like I get the extra carbs or like, no, I should really do this or I should really do that based on these unhealthy thoughts that are in my mind. And so now it's like really freeing to be like, no, I'm going to be the one to order the pizza. Yeah. I'm going to set the tone for this tonight. I'm going to set the tone. And you know what? I'm going to give everybody else permission to do it. Whatever the heck they want. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Live life. Taste life. You know? So... What's life if you don't get to eat pizza? Gosh, I know. And brownies. Yeah. Everything. The dairy does make my household very smelly, but... um, So does ours. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's bad. It's bad. But I still sometimes... You can get dairy-free a lot of things now. I know. We actually buy a lot of dairy-free stuff. It's fine. (laughs) I know. I do. It's a balance. Yeah. Yeah, it's a balance. I'm so glad you bring that up because... I, and I appreciate, like you said, you were forced into vulnerability. So it sounds like you're more willing to be vulnerable now mm-hmm. in this sort of setting. Yeah. But this is also an intimate setting. And I appreciate you being willing to share. Like, this was difficult for maybe more obvious reasons of mm-hmm. being stripped of my comforts and my space and my culture and going to this other country. But y'all, honestly, it was this Western societal version of what I was supposed to be and this disordered eating that came to eat mm-hmm. me alive. Yeah, yeah. Craziness. And I shouldn't say that. Wildness. Wildness. But, you know, for the non-derogatory meaning of crazy, it was yeah. crazy. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I love that you were able to access help. I think that's really helpful for us to know that even if you mm-hmm. do join a program like the Peace Corps, there there is yeah. help. There sure. are people yeah. there because I can imagine many people deal with demons of all different shapes oh, and sizes yeah. when you enter the Peace Corps, when right. you're isolated like that, right? Mm-hmm. What, what did we talk about before this? That being isolated really forces you to confront who you are, yeah. you know, without that mirror. Mm-hmm. And that scares people. Yeah. When they have to do that, when they're alone mm-hmm. with themselves. How are you today? Uh, I'm good. Yeah. I am so good. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, getting past, you know, getting past the body stuff mm-hmm. just left so much more space in my life and in my, um, in everything else. And so um, I don't think it was necessarily preventing me from all the wonderful things that have happened since, but it definitely wasn't adding to it. No. Very restrictive. Yeah. So I feel like I have an incredible community. I love my job and outreach and engagement and, um, you know, doing outreach to underrepresented populations and talking about, you know, mental health and incorporating, you know, just healthy healthy mindset and reaching and this healthy that's like genuinely healthy right like what we were talking about before this idea of what is deemed healthy or considered healthy may really not be healthy but the healthy we're talking about are like no things that are actually good for you right right and like still embracing fitness and embracing you know what feels good to cook and eat and embracing like fitness because it feels good yes like sensuality and fitness and 
Yeah, getting out there and shaking my booty, no matter no matter how many dimples are in it. Get yeah. out, like get out there. It's not about the dimples; it's about the booty, girl. Yeah, no. it's about it's about <laughs> yeah. what what your body's capable right, of. Right, what right, you right. say, right? Like, yes. I mean. Who cares what it looks like if you can hold yourself sideways off a pole? It's pretty damn incredible. Come on. Or even just breathe air and hike a trail or walk a walk or, you know, be able to be alive. Like, that's what it's, that's what we're here for. That's what our bodies do for us. They keep us alive every day. Yes. And the least thing we can do is be kind back to them. Exactly. Exactly. So. And like feed them pizza. Right. Yes. And, and take them to travel the world. Yes. 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 What are some other things that you're doing? You know, I think about you a lot with the pandemic and how that probably had to restrict again, there's that word, your access to Mm -hmm. some of these things. So what have you been doing to continue to take care of yourself since you've been back from the peace? core Mm -hmm. reintegrating into what it's like to be here Mm -hmm. on the east coast of america and you know you got back right before the pandemic so like what have you been doing to take care of yourself yeah great questions um so i dancing for me is just so therapeutic i love 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 to dance and so a lot of days where i just feel like i need to move my body it'll just be turning on uh, i'll have a dance break like in the middle of the day it'll be turning on i tell so many clients to do that i'm like oh. put a song for three minutes and dance you will feel so much better it's afterwards so good it's so so good um i also became really diligent about using my lunch break to get outside mm-hmm. whether it's walking or just sitting like whatever my body feels like in that moment um usually it's walking because i've got some pent-up energy um but just get outside and enjoy that so that's been really helpful um i utilize epa has an incredible program called the employee assistance program where you can work with like all different kinds of counselors whether it's like financial counselors mental health counselors whatever and so i've like used those services to just like make sure that i'm like checking in like i think that maintenance for mental and emotional health is like super important don't wait until it's an emergency it's like a car you got to tune it up yes yeah um so that's really great um and just loving like we just moved loving household projects and having a partner that's just super supportive yeah. awesome so. he's amazing and you have chickens oh the chickens yeah, cheekies. how can i not bring them up y'all they'd be so hurt honestly rude. gosh so rude um yes the chickens have been Oh, such a meditation. Just go out there and watch them like peck around. And... They're they're wild. Yes. Yes. We have a couple of sets of friends that have chickens and I'm like, it's we we toured some houses that had yeah. chicken coops. And we're like, yeah. oh my God, we could have chickens. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. We love them. And the eggs are so great too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how cool is that? You can just go outside and be like, what's my breakfast? Here's my egg. Yeah, Thank you. It's so true. So just yeah, just really embracing um embracing like all assets, all aspects of life. Um, which, you know, the ones that you embrace during COVID when you're stuck at home or, you know, have limited access are different than the ones right now where I'm like getting back to the office and Mm -hmm. doing new stuff. So, yeah. What are some words of advice or a quote or a mantra that you live by that Mm -hmm. you'd want to share with us? You're really just afraid to die. (laughs) (laughs) Thank thank you, Taylor. Yeah. Thank you, Taylor. No, um, that is a great one, but, uh, I think it's, let's see, I think it's forge the path Um, because I think we talk, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric about like, do what scares you or like follow your dreams. And I think the reality is that like, it's a lot harder to do that than we think. And 
I think a lot of people see a lot of brush in the way. Mm-hmm. And I think you still should do it. You know, everybody should should follow the thing that's really calling to them on the inside. But be prepared to forge the path. And so when that little voice tells you to, like, as mm-hmm. you said before, veer off course. Yeah. yeah. Just be prepared right. to veer off course. It's going to be a little rough. Yeah, it's going to be rough. And you're going to run over. You're going to get a, There's going to be brambles, y'all. Mm-hmm. Thorns. But you're going to come out of there and be like, dang, that path is forged. And that, that's mine. <laughs> that path Look is that. mine. Yes. I did that. Trailblaze in all meanings of the word, whether it's traveling the world, joining the Peace Corps, you know, going on a hike that you've never done, getting applying to a new job, like talking to a family member, having a difficult conversation, like forge the path. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much, Kate, for... Again, coming out here during the wild times that we are experiencing right now, it's spring, you just bought a house, you're working on your house. So I I can't thank you enough for making time to do this and for, again, really highlighting your vulnerability. I mean, you've been through, I don't don't want to call it the worst of the worst, but like you have been in situations that I can imagine so many people wouldn't be able to put themselves in. And so your level of ability to be vulnerable is so admirable. And so I appreciate you feeling like you could come on here and share it with us. Yeah. Well, you know, I appreciate it. And I couldn't have done it without the invitation. Um, And I feel like I owe so much of that to all the people I've interacted with, whether those people in the village in Peace Corps or the counselors that I've worked with, friends and family to to uphold us, you know? Absolutely. If anyone wants to look more into Aradia Fitness, it's in Cary. We will put the links up there. If anyone is struggling with eating habits, disordered eating, struggling with their body image, how they feel about themselves, any form of dysmorphia around that, please seek help. You know, seek a professional mental health counselor, reach out to you, any kind of professional in the health field. We'll add some links there. There's some really incredible places here in the Triangle that are very supportive of all-inclusive body sizes for fitness and health. You know, um, I work at Current Wellness in downtown Raleigh, which is a huge space for inclusive fitness. um, And we try to embrace every body size and make everything accessible and many therapists who work there are disordered eating therapists and have intuitive eating backgrounds and everyone is trained in that as well so if you need some help please reach out to us and let us know thank you so much kate we appreciate having you today yeah thank you thank you for listening to i've been better i'm your host susan youngstead Please be sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts and follow us on social media at I've been better dot pod.